0: Mac Power Users, Episode 645, Live Question and Answer with Stephen and David. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am joined today, somewhat remotely, by my friend Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good. I'm all the way remote. (laughs) I'm in Tennessee. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're on my screen. I can see you. I get to see your face. That's That's unusual for me, right?
1: it it is unusual. So today we are recording uh a live like Q&A webinar type thing. So we're on video, we're streaming to a bunch of people live and uh yeah, it's it's a little it's a little unusual.
0: Yeah, it's fun though. We're trying this out as a new format. I think we may do it once in a while if it works. We were actually going to do it with you here. Uh, you were going to stay with me for a little while, but you know, things happened and it just didn't work out, but uh eventually we'll get you out here we can do one when we're both in the same room but uh you know with the in- miracle of the internet we can also do these remotely and uh it's kind of fun having a live room full of folks uh, that we had the dog on the screen before we hit the record button <laughs> we did uh steven uh, cleaned his office i brushed my hair you know mm. so we're, we're really like up in our production today guys
1: yeah yeah it's uh Fancy, fancy day here at MPU, and uh, <laughs> so yeah. So uh, we're going to do some Q and A today, but first, uh, a, just really just one big announcement. So on Wednesday, June twenty second, we'll be releasing our annual special. So how this works on Relay FM is all members, no matter what show you subscribe to, everyone gets annual specials. They end up in the crossover feed. So if you're Relay FM member, be sure you subscribe to that. And uh, we will be doing our annual special. It's a discussion on the new book called After Steve. It's a book looking at Johnny Ive and Tim Cook and their relationship. Came out about a month ago. We both read it, so we're going to talk about that. And again, that will go to all Relay FM members on Wednesday the 22nd. Uh, If you aren't a member, now's a great time because all all the Relay shows are doing these specials. And again, you get access to all of them. If you join to support Mac Power Users, then you get uh, an, a, an ad-free, longer version of the show each and every week. So every week, David and I have a final topic that we discuss. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about our thoughts on the M2 MacBook Air. We didn't really get to talk about that much in our WWDC episodes. So we're talking about our hands-on and our thoughts about it and maybe our plans to to check them out. So uh, members will get uh, will get that this week.
0: One other announcement is as this show airs, it is the last day. Well, there's last 24 hours of the early uh, purchase discount on the shortcuts for Mac field guide. Um, we're getting ready to start up the webinar for the plus version uh, next week. And uh, I decided to extend the introductory price for just one day after this show air. So you guys are getting the last gasp of this Um So on Monday after the show publishes will be the last day to get that discount. So if you want it, get it, we'll put a link in the show notes. Cool. All right. Um, so we're both back home now. It was really great seeing you in, um, in Cupertino and, and thereabouts. And uh, I thought maybe we should just start talking a little bit about kind of thoughts on the trip before we get into the details of the, uh, of the announcements do you feel like uh going hippie this early in the show today Steve? yeah
1: let's let's do it i mean we can see each other we might as well talk yeah. about feel yeah, no. <laughs> talk about feelings
0: <laughs> seeing you was actually quite nice i remember when we were at apple park you and me and kind of the, the relay gang being together and we were sitting up in the cafeteria and i had a moment there like a moment you know where you are like ah I didn't know if we would all be doing this again, you know, the way things were going for a while. And it felt really good to be together. Even it was even more special being in Apple Park, but it was actually really nice just being all together. I was really sad that Mike couldn't be there. But um the uh yeah, but it was really nice that those of us that could be were in the same room together again. It was really nice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely feel that way too. And and really in a in a way that I was a little surprised by, you know. Yeah like everyone else or like so many other people, you know, I haven't seen, (laughs) I haven't gone anywhere in three years. And if you back up before the pandemic, we were actually traveling quite a bit as relay FM between live shows and trips and, you know, speaking engagements and, and all of these different things. And that of course just came to a screeching halt in early 2020. And so this was my, my first work trip at all, but to really, to make it to see so many relay people, and be at WWDC and at Apple Park and all of that. It it was really special and it's a trip that I'm going to remember fondly for a long time. You know, and not, and not that it was all great, I mean a lot of people know my business partner Mike Hurley tested positive for COVID upon landing in the United States. He lives in London normally and he couldn't do anything. He was like sequestered in his hotel room and that's terrible in every single way and uh was really heartbreaking. But outside of that, it really was a, a really awesome trip.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, we were at one point in your room, which was like two doors down from Mike, and I was that close to him. And, you know, Mike is a good friend too, and not being able to see him really sucked. But, but we were spending, I think we were seeing each other about three times a year before all this nonsense started. And we had big plans to do more live shows and meetups, and, you know, all that kind of got put on the back burner. Yeah. But, uh, it, you know, I'll just say it was really nice seeing you and getting to connect with you again and, and talk. And and we, we talk all the time, but there's a difference between getting on a zoom call and, and actually being in the same room. Yeah. You know, I, I ate one of your apples and you you know, it was, you know, it was really nice.
1: <laughs> I think it was technically underscores apple. I think he had bought, we bought a lot of groceries uh, underscore. And I usually room together during WDC and you yeah. know, we, we always kind of joke. It's like a week like back in college or something, right? Like, uh, it's kind of fun. And, uh, yeah, it was was just awesome. And the thing about any conference, not just WWDC, or really any sort of work event is, you know, yeah, you're there for the work, and there was a lot of it the week of WWDC to do, but it's all the in-between times, right, to hang out with people, to meet new people, met a bunch of new people this year, and, and then just catch up with friends, you know, relay is getting ready to turn eight years old. And a lot of us have been working together at least that long, if not longer, you and I have been friends over a decade now and three years is a long time without seeing people. So it was, it was so cool to be able to do that. And, you know, I don't know quite what the future holds yet for live shows and bringing those other things back. It's not this calendar year but I'm hopeful that maybe in 23, we can we can start doing some stuff again, kind of on our own terms.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I have thoughts, so hopefully we can get there. But, but there was a very uncomfortable moment when I was at your place eating the apple. And you know, when you eat an apple, sometimes you get like a little piece of skin or something in your throat and you start coughing. Mm-hmm. So I was in the room and I started like, Coughing because I had this thing in my throat, and it, but it, it didn't sound like a choking cough. It just sounded like a cough. And when I did, Stephen looks at me, and then, like about thirty seconds later, I coughed again.
1: He's like, "Oh and no!"
0: <laughs> underscores looking at me, and I'm like, "Guys, I think it's just the apple in my throat." And mm-hmm. you guys are looking at me, so I, I literally like jumped up. I went and took a bottle of underscores water as well, or was that your water? I took I somebody's it's, water. It's hard to tell. <laughs> And then I drank the water and then the coughing stopped and I was so relieved because I yeah. felt like they were going to throw me out the window. Yeah, I was like, but no, we can't stay way.
1: here. You can't stay here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the other, thing, the, the other thing that sort of was a, a little bit of a wrinkle in the trip was uh, getting home. So I was initially going to come and visit you and some stuff came up and I needed to come home. But then, and a lot of people have experienced this recently, that air travel is just a nightmare. And I had two flights home canceled. Actually, like, The flights and canceled, the the plane got canceled. We like they're like, oh, we can't fly this plane. It's like, yeah. That seems bad. I'm glad we discovered this before we took off.
0: (laughs) Before you
1: I (laughs) ended up getting stuck in Dallas overnight. That was where my connection was from. And they couldn't get me home until like Saturday. And so I ended up renting a car at like one o'clock in the morning, spending the night in a terrible hotel, and then driving home on Friday. Because Dallas to Memphis is about a seven hour drive. And, uh, so I got caught up in all listening to all my tech podcasts, which is great, but it was a little, uh, unexpected there at the end of the trip.
0: Now, if you were ever like in the middle of the air and someone said the pilot just had a heart attack and nobody on the plane is licensed to fly an airplane, Mm. we need you to do it. Would you step into the cockpit and do it?
1: I mean, if anyone has ever seen like Mike and I stream when we play like a, a flight simulator or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be the most qualified person.
0: See, I feel like I've logged enough hours in the uh, Microsoft Flight Sim back in the day that could I do could it. probably, I could get it there, but I couldn't land it. I'd be mm-hmm. like, you got to let the wires take over. But I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll take one.
1: That last bit's really important, though. I mean, <laughs> to <Yeah>. be fair,
0: <laughs> I'd say, but I'll do it. But I want all the pretzels on the plane. I want them all.
1: <laughs> That's right. Just <laughs> yeah. put them in my bag while I'm up here. Um, so yeah, yeah, it, it, it was awesome. And man, how cool was it to be at Apple park? I and mean, we, we touched on this in our, uh, in our episode at Apple park, but I was looking through photos the other night. Um, cause my kids wanted to see, you know, if t- photos from the trip. Yeah. It's like, it's such a beautiful place. Like that's what I keep coming back to. Like, I mean, it's enormous. And I made, I made a joke that like looking down the edge of the ring of Apple's building, is like trying to put your finger on the curvature of the earth, right? It's like you can't really yeah. tell like where it dips out of sight. Yeah. But the, I mean, just the grounds and all the landscaping, and you look out into the center where that rainbow stage is, and there's there's trees and walkways, like it's just a beautiful place. It really struck me.
0: Yeah. I mean, my wife does some um, tours of the Disney studios, like the in Burbank and it's 50 acres well that would fit inside the ring at apple park Whoa, you know just as as context and uh, reading that uh that book the the trip Mickey book the after steve book one of the things he didn't really say in the book but what seems like it came out was that johnny ive's last big thing at apple was building apple park and it really feels like it was kind of a love letter to Steve, like him and Steve were such good friends and he really wanted the building built in a way that Steve would want, you know, with that kind of obsessive detail and it's just everywhere that that's the thing that really stood out to me. I mean, the size is amazing, but to me it's the execution, Mm -hmm. the switches in the elevators, the handles in the bathrooms, the, the way that, the floor is done, the way that handrails, the handrails on the state, you know, every building in the United States has a public building has handrails on the stairs. That's, it's legally required. So rather than them bolt on stainless steel handrails, like everybody does, they just re-engineered the stairs. So the handrails are built in It's It's really hard to describe, but if you Google handrails and apple park
1: i'll put a a photo in the show notes for people because it it is wild
0: they like added like eight inches of marble with a round over at the top by the way one thing i thought about was that a hot wheels car would roll down the inside of that handrailing all the way down i think oh yeah fun to try that'd be awesome either way yeah the um there you know but that's just like an example and then you look at like we were able to go into cafe mac and then walk outside and if you go over that transit and you look and you look at the thickness of those big glass panels that roll out and close and open, it's like imagine the world's largest airplane hanger or maybe a blimp hanger. Yeah. But instead of stain, instead of like, you know, ten doors, they're like six inch thick glass and they roll. And the you know, Lord knows how heavy they are. But it's just it is really crazy. And, um, so that there's that part of being there that just kind of the overwhelming nature, it is awesome. Mm -hmm. And it really does that to you, which is, you know, almost an expression of power you would think, but they don't want anybody there. So it's really not an expression of power. They want to keep it to themselves. I think really what they were going for was just a beautiful place to work in and to inspire you. I think that's really what you get the impression Johnny was aiming for with, with, and and honestly, the reason it is that way is because of Johnny Ive, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) I mean, a lot of people want to speculate, you know, if he was the guy who messed up the keyboards or whatever, and I have no idea, but, but he certainly was the guy who made that building as amazing as it is.
1: Yeah. I've had the opportunity now to be at every big tech company in the Valley. So I've been to Facebook And Google and Apple and Dropbox. Uh, I've not been to Microsoft's campus, but or Amazon's, but those, you know, those aren't necessarily in the valley. But it's so interesting comparing them all. And by far, Apple's is the nicest. It's not the coolest. I think that's Facebook's or Meta's now, Um, you know, in terms of like amenities and just outdoor space and the vibe. Like it was very cool but apple park is like literally a park and every yeah every detail is just really thought about and i think that's a you know it's a testament to sort of what they believe and how they approach things and that's not that doesn't mean they always nail it but they are generally a company that really cares about every single detail and like being in that place was like a physical manifestation of that in a way for me.
0: Yeah. It's almost like a cathedral to Apple. It is It is like a cathedral. (laughs) It's funny though, because I have also been to Facebook and I've been to Microsoft and I would say that, you know, Microsoft is like halfway between Microsoft is way more like Apple park than Mm -hmm. Facebook but I found the opposite reaction Facebook made me crazy The the way the place is laid out and like the 24-hour nature of it oh yeah I felt like it like it's an alternative reality it is. and I, I've represented people who used to work there and they would tell me how you show up for work at like 10 a.m and you leave at like 4 a.m and like this whole thing is built around becoming your life you know And I don't get that from Apple Park. I feel like Apple Park is a place you go to work and it's pretty. And like, there's so many things, like as a fan of Disney, that I see at Apple Park that remind me of Disney things, like sight lines. When you're at Apple Park, it's almost impossible to see that there's a city outside. Mm -hmm. Um, They've they've built (laughs) and planted trees and done everything to cover the sight lines. It's just a very, like, I could not work at Facebook, you know, for a lot of reasons, but one of them being, just the the maddening nature of that campus.
1: Yeah. The day that I was there, they had a knife sharpening truck there. So like, you know, I, I think they try to like give you opportunities to not like not have any excuse to ever leave, right? I mean, there's food and there's yeah. I mean, I had like the best tacos of my life at Facebook. They were incredible. But, you know, yeah, I may check out of work a little bit early today because I got to go do this or get my oil change in the car. We're like all that can be done, for you know, either for you or by you at work. And that is definitely a weird vibe. I mean, physically, it was a very cool space. And they have a uh, in one of Meta's big buildings, like this beautiful rooftop garden. And you can get like tea or something to drink. And we all sat in under this like giant like wicker sort of covering. So he didn't get sunburned. Like it was lovely. But in the back of your mind was like, they never want people to go home. They want people to work all the time. And I agree with you. I don't think Apple park is that way. And I'm sure that, that, you know, depending on the year and what team you're on, there are times where you're probably doing that, but it's set up in a way that really feels like this is a workplace and you have your other stuff. That's not, that's not here. Right. And it's been interesting to see Apple in particular wrestle with the work from home movement and trying to get people back and they've gone back and forth. There's been a lot of strife over that, but they, I mean, they built that building for people to be there. And I think that ultimately they want, they want that, that ring full of people again. They just have to contend with the world and and right now it's not going the way that Apple wants, I don't think.
0: Yeah, but I mean I do think, I mean, there is an argument to be made that when you have people in the same room, they come up with ideas. We were just talking about how being in the same room was it very different for you and I than it was being on Zoom. And you know, their job is to make you know world-changing products. They want the people they hire to collaborate in the same room. You know, there's a famous story about Steve Jobs because he built the Pixar mm-hmm. building. Actually, they've now named it after him as the Steve Jobs Building at Pixar. And when that was going through design phase because he was around for that, he wanted the building to have one bathroom. He he literally wanted one bathroom in the building, and if you look at the, the whole building is engineered around getting people to bump into each other. Mm-hmm. And he thought if there's one bathroom, everybody will eventually see everybody else. Yeah. And of course, somebody had to explain the laws to him and, you know, the fact that it's like a four story building and you can't do that. But, but, uh, that's what he wanted. So I I think that's really in Apple's DNA. I think it's going to be really hard to break loose of that. Yeah. You know, the flip side is it's going to cost them people because some people like to work from home. I, you know, one of the greatest things about me leaving the law firm seven, eight years ago was, not having to go to the office every day. I'm so much more productive at home. Mm-hmm. And I know there's people that, you know, make uh, great software and hardware that feel the same way. But I think if you want to work for Apple, I mean, we had James Thompson on the show. Remember that story?
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: but, you know, being in Scotland and, uh-huh Steve Jobs and
1: having a fake uh, office in- ca- in California yeah
0: yeah, <laughs> I just don't think it's uh I, I I'll see how it'll, we'll see how it all plays out, but either way i, I thought uh, going there was amazing, getting invited was amazing. I mean when you look at the people that are in the media area and it's like Wall Street Journal and New York Times, yeah, and then it's Max Sparky. I'm like this can't mm-hmm. happen very often i mean i I really am outclassed by these people mm-hmm. but I um, At the same time, it was a wonderful experience, and anytime Apple invites you to stuff, you assume that's going to be the last time you ever go anyway. Um, but they did a great job, and there there were some questions in the room today about the studio that we were in. Yeah. Um, uh, what'd you think of it?
1: Yeah, it was great. Uh, so they had it in the developer center, which again, we spoke about two episodes ago about sort of the... Uh, what that building is going to be. And if you're interested more in that, I would check out uh, Under the Radar episode 244. Uh, they interviewed some people at Apple about the developer center, so I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, but it was a room in there, and they had it set up with four chairs and microphones that they were tracking it off for. Someone had asked if I was recording it or if, if Apple was. Apple did, and they just gave me the files. So that episode... The WDC one I edited actually like that night in my uh, in my rental place. But it uh, it was great and it sounded really good uh, in 2019 when we were there. I'm sure you remember the podcast recording setup was not ideal. and There was a lot of background noise. It was kind of out in the open. And that was one thing that I had talked to them about in the time since and leading up to this of like. that You know, yeah, we're in, but like <laughs> we need a place that actually sounds good. And so, yeah, it was really cool to be there, and they had the ability to bring people in over WebEx, and so I know Upgrade, which recorded right after you and I did, uh, Mike, of course, was quarantined, and so they brought him in over WebEx, and Jason Snell was in the room uh, so they could see each other. And uh, it was really cool, and it was fun to, like, hang out with those folks who worked at Apple, like, because they were audio guys, right? Like, they were into the same stuff you and yeah. I are into, so... You know, while we were waiting for the files to bounce, I was like, hey, you know, they were kind of like showing me how they had it all set up. And it was really, it was just cool to talk, talk, shop with those people. Um, Yeah, it was a really cool place. I'll put a, there's a, there's a thread on the forums that has some photos and I'll, again, that'll be in the show notes.
0: Yeah, well, while you were getting the files, I was talking to one of the guys in there who had set it up. I mean, it it was a room the week before, and they turned it into a podcast studio. And, you know, they had uh, carpeting down. They had uh, flooring, textured materials on the walls. I mean, they went all in. And I was telling them I'm in the process of setting up my um, my own studio at Mm -hmm. home. And I was thinking about sound and this guy launched into this explanation of like false walls and all this technology. And like, and I, you know how like when you talk to a chef or somebody and they start telling you how they made something and you, yeah. you lose them like mm-hmm. after you chop the vegetables. I, I hope that I, he didn't realize how much he had lost me. After the <laughs>
1: conversation. But
0: anyway, it, it was really great being there and, and just being part of the excitement of the week. And, and that definitely was a lot of fun. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to one slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off and keep your family safe online. 1Password is the world's most loved password manager. 1Password makes it easy to create and use strong passwords and log into any app or website in seconds. You can have it spin up a password for you or you can give it parameters like easily remembered words or... Don't use characters that look similar, like the number 1 and the letter L. And with a 1Password for Family account, it's the safest way to share logins, passwords, credit cards, and other important information with the people who matter most. You can keep personal logins private and give everyone access to what they need. The Sparks family has been a 1Password subscriber since they first announced it, and we're super happy with it. Also with 1Password, you can access your passwords anywhere with Windows, Mac OS, Linux, iOS, Android, and a web browser. No matter what device you're using, everything you've stored in 1Password is right at your fingertips. And the new version 8 for Mac looks good and runs fast. Just know that with a 1Password for Families account, you can protect your family from hacks and breaches by making it easy to use strong passwords and find security problems with the websites you use. I love that with 1Password, I can get alerts when my accounts are compromised or even when the services that I deal with are compromised, so I can change my password or even turn off my account. 1Password also identifies weak or duplicate passwords and websites where I can turn on two-factor authentication. If a family member loses access to 1Password, I can recover it for them as part of the family plan. 1Password for Families is a great way to teach your kids good password habits and help your family be safer on the internet. So go check it out at onepassword.com slash MPU. Make that in all caps to get 20% off and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Thank you, OnePassword, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users and keeping us all safe. Okay, so it's been a week. Um, I know you've been running some betas. I've been running some betas. Uh, where, where are you now? What do you have running uh, in terms of beta software?
1: Yeah, so I have iPad OS 16 running on an iPad Pro, and I have Mac OS Ventura running on my 14 inch MacBook Pro. I actually did both of those while I was still in California, but after I was done with all of our production work. And so, yeah, I've been running both. You know, it'll be on my phone later this summer. My Mac Studio, like my production machine, never runs a beta. I usually upgrade. Mm-hmm you know a little bit later on those just because i'm turning out shows every week and things need to work uh i mean it's it's early right like it's dev beta one um but maybe before we dive into the details i need to correct you you said you're running some betas you my friend are running all the betas yeah
0: that's true but not on all my hardware that's what I meant. I'm running betas on some machines. Yeah. So uh, while I was there, you know, it's funny, this liberation of not being a lawyer anymore and not having to worry about, well, if I break something, a client maybe not be able to get what they need or whatever. So I'm free as a bird, free as a man piloting an aircraft with no knowledge and a lot of principles. <laughs> and so I, I decided, let's just go for it. I mean, I, I could drive home if – Things really went bad for me, right? I was just Northern California, so sure. Uh, and I just thought it'd be fun uh doing this as we uh, as we were up there. and We had that show we were going to record, so I said, "Why not?" So I installed it on a. I borrowed a MacBook Pro from a friend, and we explained it last week. But I got it. I know a guy who has a Mac Studio, and he's getting ready to sell this thing, so he, he's let me borrow for a while. I called him after and said, "Hey, is it okay if I put the bait on?" And he says, "Well." I heard your podcast, so I know you've already done it. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I I keep it for a couple months. It's no big deal. So um, anyway, so I, I installed it on the Mac. And this is the problem with betas is they do propagate. You know, as you start using them and trying to try out features between them, I immediately put it on the uh, the iPad. I have a second iPad, so I put it on that, and I had and it is the M1, so it's it's it was able to use the new feature. My other iPad doesn't have that. The um, and then I had uh, then I went ahead and just put it on my phone and my watch too. So I've been using it on those four devices. It is not on my big iPad, and it's not on my. My MacBook Pro, you know, that's my my production machine. So, yeah, you're right. I have all the betas, but I don't have them on all my devices. I guess let's start with the Mac and okay. and just kind of work our way down the stack. Uh, in general, it's been working pretty good for me. Justin wrote in that uh, the Rogue Amiga software isn't running. Um, I know that like I ran Fission on it while I was in Cupertino because I released some podcasts to the uh, uh, to the Max Market Labs people that I did in Fission. I have not tried um, uh, Audio Hijack yet, um, but I get the impression that this year isn't as extreme with in terms of audio changes that we had last year. I remember last year, Rokami had to make a lot of changes. Yeah, that's an app though that often gets hung up if you do podcasting. That's the reason why you always keep your main machine running the older software. Um, the other one that has really, like, really um, had trouble for me is. Um, is ScreenFlow. ScreenFlow is like doing all kinds of weird stuff right now. So that application is not running on the new betas. That's usually the case. And, you know, they're pretty responsive and usually they have it sorted out by the time the app ships. Um, uh, But generally I've actually been more impressed. It feels like this year more software is running than usually you get this early in the process.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. It seems like, overall, there's just less broken from a compatibility standpoint, I guess. The the issues I've seen on the Mac are a lot around notifications where they kind of get stuck coming in from the right-hand side of the screen, or they're really delayed. Uh, I've also, and maybe it's just me, I don't know. I'm signed into my iCloud account with it, but... Yeah. iMessage doesn't know anyone it knows everyone's names in the like the application, but say that you text me, the notification will will have your phone number instead of your name. It's like I don't know yeah. anybody who any, this is. Um yeah. but those are relatively minor things. Overall, the the Mac, I mean, even for Dev Beta One, like it feels okay. You know, I think that uh like the Rogue Amoeba thing in particular, like to touch on that. They generally turn off or, or they disable their applications on the Mac OS betas. At least that's true for Audio Hijack. You know, Fission doesn't do as many deep things as Audio Hijack does. So I haven't, um, I haven't played with that yet. I sort of assumed it would all be broken. But the most important thing, as Mark points out, uh, is that Claris is back in Mac OS. Did you see this today?
0: No, I didn't.
1: Yeah, so uh, Shadow Facts, someone on the internet, uh, they wrote a blog post up that they oh had gosh. hit the okay. page setup screen in macOS Ventura and found uh, Claris the dog cow, which for people who don't know uh, is this like really old piece of like Apple lore, and it's an icon that be used to be used on the on the page setup years and years and years ago, and it went away when sort of like os 10 crashed in over classic mac os and a lot of the fun stuff got taken away and it's a susan care icon from way back in the day anyways i've got a whole page up on 512 pixels about the history of it I actually have a dog cow tattoo it's like my favorite bit of like apple history and there's this new kind of rounded sort of kind of weird looking version of clarice uh back where she belongs in uh, in the page setup screen and that is a a very important addition to Mac OS, I think. I think it's really yeah, cool. could you
0: give the short version of the history of Claris? you know, because a lot of people aren't going to go read the web.
1: Yeah, yeah, so... And, it's, and you
0: do have a tattoo, so I feel like this is uh, justifi- justifiable content.
1: Yeah, right, it's, right uh, it's on my ankle. So when Susan Kerr made the original typefaces for the Mac, there was a a a typeface that included a bunch of glyphs. You know, think about, like... Uh, um what's the one that ships in windows everyone knows uh like wing ding bats or some some name yeah anyways. wingdings yes
0: wingdings kind of yes. like
1: that and the uh one of the glyphs was this little animal and it's of course it's drawn in pixel art because we're talking a long time ago and it's shaped like a dog but has spots like a cow and at, that sort of launched this really unusual thing where apple employees like in the 80s and 90s wrote tech support documents about this icon this icon was then used on the page setup screen so when you go to print in portrait or landscape you know microsoft word puts like a little stick figure there where on the mac it used this glyph of the dog cow and there were these tech support documents writing about it um On my like dog cow history page, I actually spoke to some people who wrote those documents and like got an interview out of them and talked about it. And it was just kind of like this fun, like little jokey thing within Apple. Uh, It showed up in like QuickTime 3D stuff in the early and mid nineties and was even in the icon garden, which people may remember in the nineties, Apple had on their infinite loop campus had these really big cutouts of different system icons. And the dog cow was one of them. And speaking of James Thompson, uh, I've got photos of him from that era standing next to Claris, the dog cow. And then Claris kind of disappeared for a while and has slowly have has kind of come back. Um, showed up in Swift documentation. And now it's it's back here in, um, in the new version of macOS. So it's like this joke. Yeah like inside joke from inside Apple from way back in the day. That's like made it back in a big way.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think it's cool and I like whimsy and the more Apple does it, the better it's like clippy, but inspired by love instead of hate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully it stays, you know, I think it probably will, but, uh, pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, in general, I've been really happy. The interesting thing And one of the threads I don't think we had enough time to really talk about in the show we did at WWDC is just the way everything is everywhere. I mean, just a few years ago, any new feature that Apple announced at WWDC was always like, you know, and and we improved, you know, calendar on the Mac and we made notes better on the iPhone, but it was never across the board, you know, and with this transition, sometimes painful transition we've had with Swift UI and Apple's kind of new one operating system and development platform to rule them all. I guess I shouldn't say operating system, people will come for me. But mm-hmm. um, they really have gotten a spot now where it seems like it's the rule that they're going to get new features out across all platforms where before that used to be the exception.
1: Yeah, and that, that's really a shift for Apple. And I, I really picked up on it this time. And it makes me wonder, like, if the keynote itself can't be structured this way much longer because they talk about stage manager as a, a Mac feature first, right? And, like, you and I lean to each other and, like, that's the iPad multitasking. And then, of course, it shows up on the iPad, like, 15 minutes later in the keynote. Yeah. And I just, I wonder if they need to, like, really reconsider how they structure these things. But I think it's great. I think that Apple needs more cohesion between their devices and... You know, we can talk about Stage Manager specifically, but I think that it's really interesting that they're doing, they are doing, they do that on two levels, right? So it's just features, right? Like mail gets new features and all of these things. But then Stage Manager is like a window UI paradigm that's now coming to two of the three platforms or two of the five, depending on how you count them. Just kind of an interesting change. But um, yeah, overall, I, I like the direction of macOS this year. And I think like we spoke about on the that episode, I think from the productivity angle in particular, there's a lot of really good stuff there.
0: Yeah. And I want to break down some of that since we're now using it. Um, One thing that I, uh, that I do want to mention though, there are some things using the Mac beta where I already prefer the Mac um, beta Ventura over the existing Mac operating system. It's like, it tempts me to install. Of course I will not. I, I make a living on this computer. I can't do that, but but there are things i miss like um i want to we'll talk about mail in a minute but the one that really stands out is shortcuts shortcuts for mac on the ventura build is much better than the existing one i mean there are things that are broken in the existing one that just got fixed in the new one and the way it renders dialog boxes is better and like there's a bunch of little fixes we've been getting these point updates to shortcuts throughout the year you know every time apple releases a new point update they make Uh, shortcuts a little better on the mac because you know it started with a pretty rough life and uh you know the ventura build has a bunch of stuff that didn't make it Mm -hmm. in the existing builds and already like there are shortcuts that work for me on my ventura machine that don't work on my older machine so it is uh it's interesting to see you know that iteration so uh, this is the first time i think ever i've had a beta where i'm like oh yeah even the Build one beta is better than what Hmm. I have on my other machine. So that's kind of cool. So, mail is one that I was just mentioning a minute ago where you're seeing across all platforms. But uh, again, the search is better. I mean, they promised it would be, and it's noticeably better. I never really had much of a problem with search on the Mac before in Apple Mail. I do use Apple Mail as my primary mail client but search on the iPad and iPhone has always been slow and it's a server thing I think. I mean they they only cache so much so many messages there. But I've already noticed search is is significantly better and those additional features are nice. I just got a a notice the other day, a follow-up notice on an email I sent 3 days ago where it said, "Hey, you sent this 3 days ago, do you want to follow up on this?" where I didn't get a reply to it. It's something like the same box feature but not as powerful, you know, because it uses Apple's magic you know, algorithm, whereas with samebox you can say, no, tell me in seven days that this person doesn't reply. Yep. This is more like, well, we're going to do it for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not, I'm not, I'm not ending my samebox subscription. Let's put that way. But I mean, no. it is, um, but for a lot of people, it's a huge improvement. And, you know, the ability, like last night, I was answering email in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep. So, uh, those those will go out in the morning and people won't see me answering email when in the morning. And it's just like nice little features like that. And uh, I, I find that's another thing where it's been rock solid stable for me. I haven't had any problems. Of course, you've got to be careful with your mail database. But I've been kind of cavalier and mm-hmm. I haven't paid a price for it.
1: You may not know the answer to this question, but say that, I, say that I'm in that situation. I'm going to... Yeah uh write a bunch of emails at two o'clock in the morning and have, have them send at 9 a.m. Does my Mac have to be like on and awake for those to send? I mean, is, 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 are they queued out of the mail application? I guess they have I to, to be. To test
0: that. Okay. I, I need to test that. Okay. I need to test that. I don't know. I think I think you're okay. I, I think it I think it's handled on the server, but I mm. don't know. So I just wonder how they would question. do that
1: and non iCloud We'll, well, we'll get back to that. That'll be a feedback uh, topic, I guess. Um, yeah.
0: Pascal asks, what about the share sheet? And I'm like, yeah, what about it? It's yeah, like, seriously, you, you will not have your share sheet, Pascal. Yeah. You'll we got, never have it. <laughs> we just got, for asking, now you don't get dessert.
1: We get follow-up <laughs> reminders before we got the share sheet. That's everything you need to know about what Apple thinks about the share sheet. Uh, but no, it's great. I mean, And it comes, what, a year after the mail kit like extension stuff. And there's only been best I can tell a hand, a small handful of those sort of newly rebuilt extensions. And I'm glad Apple baked it in because clearly like it was not happening in the third party world.
0: Yeah. I, I didn't want to say it with five Apple people in the room when we did that show. But I mean, I talked to people on the mail team a few years ago at WWDC and they were just saying, Hey man, we are spending all our time, making it secure and yeah. you know getting security in mail is a lot harder than you think. Yeah. And a lot of apps don't really try very hard. Whereas Apple, you know, Apple cannot afford to have Apple, Apple now become a security vulnerability on their platform because I mean, that it would leave so much egg on their face and they, they just don't want to do that. Um, the uh, so, uh But that has been, I think, a years-long project. And I feel like they're finally coming out the backside of that. The last piece of it was replacing the plug-in architecture, which they did last year. And now in the very first year, we get a bunch of new features. And I kind of hope that means that going forward, we're going to continue to get new features in Apple Mail. Because I feel like, okay, you rebuilt the foundation of the whole house. Now let's make it look pretty inside.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully there's more to come. I mean, I hope that they continue to iterate on it. And it's not... Hey, you have these features. We'll see you again in 12 years. This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by FitBod. We can just be honest. We're all balancing too many things, work, family, everything else. And it can be hard to make fitness a priority. What you need is a program that works with you, not against you. And that's why you need FitBod. Its algorithm learns about you, your goals, and your training ability. And then it crafts a personalized exercise plan that's unique to you. And there app makes it incredibly easy to learn exactly how to perform each exercise. Because personal fitness isn't about competing with others. You don't want to look to others in real life or social media and try to stack up against them. You need something that will work for you. That's when it sticks. And that's when you'll see the results you're looking for. FitBod uses your data, actual data, to create and adjust your dynamic fitness plan. And you'll have instant access to your own personalized routines wherever you are. So for instance, I was just at WBDC a couple of weeks ago. And normally I'm at my home gym that my wife and I built over the pandemic. And this hotel had a gym and I went in and they had a lot more equipment than I have. And so I could very quickly tell Fitbot, hey, I have access to this, this, and this machine right now. And it reconfigured my workouts for the week. It was really cool. Fitbod makes sure to learn about your last workout so your next one will be even better whether you work out twice a day or twice a week. It even tracks muscle recovery to make sure your plan is balanced with a variety of exercises to make sure you're not overworking anything. The app is really simple to use and recently got updated with a fantastic new design. My favorite feature are these HD video tutorials. They're shot from multiple angles and you can see a trainer doing the exercises so I know that I'm doing it, I can feel confident that I'm doing it correctly. Fitbod also integrates with the Apple Watch, Wear OS smartwatches, and apps like Strava, Fitbit, and Apple Health. Personalized training of this quality can be expensive, but Fitbod is just $12.99 a month, or $79.99 a year. But you can get 25% off your membership by signing up at Fitbod.me/MPU. So go there now and get your customized fitness plan, fitbod.me slash MPU and you get 25% off your membership. That URL more time fitbod.me slash MPU 25% off for being a Mac Power Users listener. Our thanks to Fitbod for the support of the show and Relay FM.
0: Okay, uh, you know, the big one was stage manager and that is a new Windows paradigm, which you don't get every day from Apple. You know, uh, You know, we had the original windows paradigm they've tried on the Mac over the years, a couple of things like spaces and some of the other, the other bits. But this year we got, not only did we get a new paradigm for the Mac, we got one for the iPad as well. And it's the same one, which means that if you learn it on one platform, it works on the other one It's called stage manager. And the way it works, you know, after spending a week with it on both uh, both platforms is is pretty stable uh, going in, but just to kind of visualize it, you're giving up some real estate on the left side of your screen. And then what you do is you, you can bunch apps together on the Mac. I don't think there's a limit. I, I don't usually have more than four, but with the iPad, it's a limit of four. However, if you have an external screen, you get another four there, but you put these bunches of apps together. And then when you select them, it pulls all four of them out. And then when you select a different bunch of apps, it, it minimizes or shrinks all of the ones you had to a, a stack on the left side of the screen, and opens the new stack. So, as an example, I set up on my iPad when I call like a communications block, and it is uh, Slack, messages, Twitter, and um, and Basecamp, which is I sometimes use with my team. And the um, the whole thing works in a way that allows you to keep them together. One thing I learned in this process is that I actually like overlapping windows on the iPad. I didn't think I would, but I do. I, I was always thinking I would want them each with their own segment, because, but because the screen is so small, having overlapping windows is nice. But then when I when I close that stack, I call it a stack. I don't know what Apple's term is, but when I close that grouping they, they shrink down into the, the left side of the screen. Then I can hit my research one, and then it opens up drafts and uh, and Safari, you know. And I can just jump between them by pushing one button, and it's kind of awesome. So anyway, it, it really works pretty great, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with it on the iPad in particular because, you know, before there wasn't really a good solution. On, on the Mac, we have Spaces, right? And I have a comms screen on my Mac that has all those apps. It's always to the left of my main screen. And if I just hit what control left arrow, I can have all my comms apps open. But I never really had a solution like that on my iPad. Now I do. It's in the left side. I tap it. It opens them up. Now you can uh, expand the size of them to fill the screen. So you don't necessarily give up that left margin and then go back to it later. Craig Federighi did a couple interviews, one with John Gruber and then another one with TechCrunch. With Matt Panzerino, where he said this is all kind of a work in progress. So I suspect we're going to see some iterations of this over the next month or two. But um on the iPad, it was an immediate win for me. It it is an improvement over the way you use the device.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's interesting too that it is a it's a mode. So things like spaces or mission control, which kind of absorbed all of that with the Mac, you know, 10 years ago. You enter and exit stage manager through control center on the iPad and the Mac. And that's because I guess stage manager doesn't take over, right? Like if you are really comfortable with mission control on the Mac, you never have to touch stage manager. If you're on an iPad that even supports stage manager, which is only the M one iPads. And you're more comfortable with split screen and, or split view and slide over and all that stuff. You can keep all of that, right? This is an addition to all of it. And How do you find yourself using that? Are you basically sort of in stage manager land all the time? Are you going back and forth? How has that shaped up so far?
0: It's a testing period for me, so I'm still figuring it out, right? Um, In the blog post I wrote about it, I talked about it on the iPad as vertical improvement, like it's a new set of features, higher and better than you've ever had before. On the Mac, I think it is more of a horizontal improvement, you know, like, you could use Spaces or you, you know, there's a lot of ways you can manage. You could also manage Windows with Keyboard Maestro and a script or uh, an Apple script. I mean, there's like, a, there are many ways to manage your Windows on the Mac. Um, uh, this is one more. Uh, I don't know if ultimately I'm going to use it on the Mac or not. Um, I am comfortable with Spaces, like the, the uh, physical like virtual space of them makes sense to me. So I've been, like I said earlier, I've been using a comm screen to the left of my main screen for a long time. And I'm very used to just going over there to check in on comms and then going back to my main screen and not seeing comms so I don't get interrupted by them. Uh, I don't know that that this is an improvement for me. Uh, you know, it's early days. I want to try it and see how it goes. I want to be able to talk about it. Ultimately, i definitely going to use it. I can already see that I'm going to be using it on iPad. Um, I don't know that I'm gonna be using it on my Mac. But I keep thinking about people like my wife, you know, she's kind of my canary in the coal mine for non-power users. And spaces never works for her. Like we tried to set up spaces for her, I explained to her how it works, and she always forgets that there's another screen. You know, it just doesn't sink in. It just doesn't compute for her. So I think for her, something like this makes a ton of sense, not only on the iPad, but on the Mac as well. And uh, I think there's a lot of folks out there that like that, and people who, frankly, don't listen to Mac power users and don't want to think about this stuff too much. It's a single paradigm. I mean, this is a bit of the genius of it that, like, if you learn it on the Mac or the iPad, you automatically know it on the other the other side. So, I feel like uh, for a lot of people that you know that aren't super geeky. This thing is gonna make a lot of logical sense. And looking at the options they've done in the past, like spaces and mission control and some of the other stuff they've tried, I just don't think it ever really made sense for you know, quote unquote normal users.
1: We had a question uh, from Mark. The stage manager on the Mac move windows around so there's never a wooden a window hidden by another. Uh, and the answer at least in Dev Beta one is, is no. And so the way that it works is Stage Manager flips between the apps that are in that stack, but you can completely have them overlapping and it doesn't do anything to automatically resize them for you, which I think on the Mac is the right idea. It it preserves some of the the more traditional Mac window management. Basically, Stage Manager is just kind of flipping you in between these scenes, and it's up to you to manage them how you want.
0: Yeah, and just to be clear, There are definite limitations on window sizing with stage manager on iPad. It's not unlimited, like on the Mac. On the Mac, with most apps, you can drag a corner and you can size it to virtually any size, height, or width that you want. With the iPad, as you drag the windows around, they transition from one pre-fit size to the next. And, you know, there's a bunch of them, but it's not unlimited. And you can actually kind of watch them move. Um, I know some people were kind of whining about that, um, that, you know, Hey, this should be smoother. I'm not, I kind of like the way they do it. So, you know, you're clearly moving from one to the next. I, I don't really know how I feel about it. I guess I shouldn't say whining either, but I mean, people are asking, well, how come you can't make it just any size? It just, the iPad really isn't configured that way and the way developers make apps. They're really not built to go infinitely different sizes. But there's enough different ones that you most people won't even notice that they're being limited. But the interesting thing for me is, you know, kind of getting back to that overlapping windows on the iPad thing, I didn't think I would like that because I've always thought a multitasking or a multi-app uh, system on a, on, a, on a tablet for me would be like split the screen into four segments and put four different apps so I can see data from each one and just tap between them. And what I found out was that, no, actually overlapping windows make even more sense on these small screens because then you can have them appropriately sized and just tap between them. You don't necessarily need everything on the screen at once. And you can resize it if you want. So you put like drafts on the right and Safari on the left, but you could also have them overlap. And uh, that actually makes more sense to me than I thought it would.
1: And I think particularly like on the the big iPad Pro, that's going to be pretty sweet. You know yeah. on the the eleven inch uh, Pro or the Air, which is effectively the same size, maybe a, a little bit um, a little bit cramped. And one thing I would like to see Apple tweak in the beta period is a way to make those thumbnails on the left take up less space. You know, we, you need to see what's in them clearly, but maybe there's something they can do to buy back a little a little real estate from that sidebar.
0: Yeah, and and it's also still a little confusing to me. Like, what if I want to add an app from an existing stack to the existing app? Like, you can drag an app up from the dock and, and add it to a grouping, but then trying to combine grouping, I'm getting inconsistent results. And I, I think it's probably part of the beta process, and they're figuring that out. But it's not immediately clear how to combine different groupings or move apps from one to the next and there there's some bits of it that are still a little confusing and i think mm-hmm. for you know getting back to that normal user they really need to iron that stuff out good before this thing goes public if yep. they want it to stick for people like that
1: yeah and there was even tension in the previous system right like apps in the dock could do special things and and they were easier to multitask with and that led to a long time people having just all of their applications like in a folder on their dock, So they could drag everything yeah. out. There's always been contention there. And, uh, I think Apple does need to, to clear that up. Um, we had a couple questions about stage manager. Mark asked, can it be triggered by hot corners on the Mac? Uh, currently no, it does not show up as an option. Uh, for a hot corner, I would add
0: to that that it's very mouse focused or tap focused at this yeah. point. There, I'm not aware of any keyboard shortcuts or I haven't found any. And you know, like they haven't. We're we're a beta one guy, so yeah, you it's know, it's early days. Time. But but there there really is. It is very much a manage with your mouse or your finger kind mm-hmm. of process at this yeah. point.
1: You have to go to control center to turn it on and off. Keith asked, "How do you think developers will implement Stage Manager?" My understanding is on iPad OS, if a developer has already done the work for the other like multitasking size, you know, resizing stuff that's been there a long time, yep. that they basically just automatically work with stage manager. Uh, I saw a tweet from several developer friends over the course of the last couple of weeks basically saying, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> if if you're already writing an application the way Apple wants you to write an application on iPadOS, you basically just get stage manager. And on the Mac, there's nothing to do because the Mac, of course, has always been a, a multi-window, freely resizable interface paradigm. And so really, in ter- this is different than if you think about, what was it, iOS 9? I think it was the first time we got iPad multitasking where you could just bring an app in on the right-hand side. And developers had to work to support it and that meant that at first it was just a bunch of apple apps and then eventually yeah. third-party apps did it and then you know 22 years later google docs got it this is okay. different I was from that. when you
0: were going to talk about google yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah they're <laughs> yeah.
1: the worst uh they're, they're so bad at adopting modern ios and ipad os features but even then google docs doesn't support multi-window on ipad but you can still use your single Google Docs window in Stage Manager. So, yeah. really, my my props to Apple for making it seem like if you've done anything to support multitasking in the past, then you're you're good to go with uh, with Stage Manager.
0: Yeah, I, I don't even think it's multitasking. I think it's just size classes, which they added when they added the big iPhone, whatever that was. But uh, yeah, either way, I've not had any apps not play well with it. Uh, I have obviously haven't tried. The whole library yet but the stuff i use to get my work done is working and and i'm generally getting some delight out of this whole process you know i, I feel like using the ipad is better i mean i've i've been kind of negative on the ipad lately because it's hard to get work done on it but being able to clump my research my writing my comms apps together and jump between them it makes me more efficient on an ipad for certain you know uh, so uh we'll we'll just have to see
1: Another big change on Mac OS is system preferences has been remade as a new app called system settings, and it looks very much like the settings on the iPad. So instead, you had a grid of all your preference panes and you could search and you could rearrange them all that stuff. That's all gone. You have a list down the left hand side and you click into each one. Again, we're only on beta one, but it's uh, it's a bit of a mess. And I think it's a good example of Apple's cross-platform UI stuff being the most out of place on the Mac. Like, if you open it or if you see screenshots, the all the switches and toggles are all, like, on the right-hand side, kind of far away from the, the text that explains what they do. A lot of stuff is just missing or broken. Again, it's early, but uh, I think... Out of everything in macOS, this has the most ground to make up.
0: Yeah. See, I I don't want to judge it yet because I feel like overall this is probably a good idea. I think that, you know, you and I have made fun of the system preferences for so long because it really was like, it really was confusing. And it was clearly, I, I think it was the oldest Kind of UI element in the Mac operating system. I remember back, the original Mac looked the system preferences looked about the same. And they just kept bolting things on and bolting things inside nested bits of nested bits. And like as uh, Mac Power users trying to explain this to people was really hard. Like go to this system preference and click on this tab and then go down to this list. You know, it was just getting nuts. And I feel like there was a certain weight of the old one that needed to be replaced. The problem I feel like is that the replacement at this point is like someone took the code from the iPad and dropped it into the Mac and, and that's where it is right now. And it's missing a bunch of pieces. It's not, it's, it doesn't feel like it belongs on the Mac. And if that's how they ship it, I'm not going to be happy, but I'm going to, I'm going to hold back judgment. Although the one thing I will judge is the name, you know, it's like pick one, right? Call it settings Or just keep calling it system preferences, but the Mm -hmm. system settings thing—I mean, come on, man, just pick one. Yeah, (laughs) I I think they should just call it settings. If you're going to do it that way, again, make it so people that see a settings button on the iPad understand what a settings button is on the Mac. And I get having—I think actually the logic of of the column format and being able to scroll down and add additional columns that you can sort however you want—I like that. I think it's the right idea. Honestly, I just think the execution isn't there yet. Yeah, but you know, uh, it's beta one, so yeah. We'll and, A-
1: and Apple has said that there's work to be done there. You know, it's it's not final. But in terms of if we're looking for something to improve greatly over the next three months, that is definitely the the top of the list for me on the Mac. And I totally agree with you about the name. I thought about it <laughs> immediately. It's <laughs> like, wait, why did you? Why did you split the naming convention? You know, if you're going to make it look yeah. like what it is on the Mac and the i if- or the iPad and the iPhone, it should be called the same thing. But maybe they do want to preserve some of that history. I don't know. But it it is uh it is weird right now. I should note third party preference panes do still work. So like, for instance, I have Backblaze installed on my laptop and it's way at the bottom and I can click on it and all of its stuff is still there. It's formatted weirdly because now it's like the old style that they, you know, developers will need Mm -hmm. to remap their stuff to make it look more in line with what the system is doing, but they did not get rid of third party preference panes, which honestly, when I first heard that they had redone the settings app or redone system preferences, I thought, well, that's it. <laughs> that's the end of third-party preference panes. And, and, you know, a lot of apps, including Hazel, I think is the uh, a, a good example for our crowd, was a system preference pane. And now it's just a full-blown menu bar app. And I expect yeah. that to continue. I'm really surprised. I'm glad. But surprised that Apple uh, left the door open to third-party preference panes at all. But again, you got a lot of history you got to contend with and... I think if they just pulled the rug on everybody, that would have been that would have been bad.
0: Yeah, uh, Mark was talking about the name preferences is a Mac thing, and I hope that um, it doesn't disappear entirely. That's kind of my problem. Is they did take that. That's the word they took out. You yeah, know? it's, called, so it's, it's like, called system settings. Yeah, so like just pick one, um, and uh, but I, again, I, I'm going to reserve judgment there. I feel like uh, you know the. The idea, Craig Federighi at the John Gruber thing, because Gruber called him on it too and said one of the problems was adding content to the system uh, preferences historically was getting really difficult. And this allows them to open it up so they can make just a separate entry. And I was thinking about when we interviewed Sal Segoyan and we were talking about services and how services should be easier to unearth from the system preferences because it was buried. And he explained how like going at Apple, he was very nice about it. But I think what he said was, oh yeah, I'd, I'd like that too. But Apple's very stingy about the system preferences. And we had to like shoehorn it in in a place that I think it was in the keyboard setting. I mean, it doesn't even make sense to put it.
1: It's still there, by the way. It just has a new look yeah. now.
0: <laughs> yeah. But in a different world where this is like worked out, I think it would be easier for them to not put it in the keyboard. And um, I think that's kind of what they're aiming for with this, but, but we'll see. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Go to electric.ai/mpu and unbury yourself from IT tasks and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a qualifying meeting. If you're listening to this show, chances are you know tech and you know how it works and more specifically how to make it work for you. And that's great because if you're a business owner, it means you can create the systems you need to help your business grow. But it also means other people might rely on you for your tech support. And that's okay from time to time. But if you're growing a business, your skills and expertise are needed in other areas of the business too. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. Look, I get it. You're listening to Mac Power Users. You've got skills. You want to flex. You want to show how much you know this stuff. But you need to build your business, too. And it's important to delegate in order to focus on what you're good at. I went through this back when I was at the law firm. They were always getting me to fix IT stuff and asking for advice. But then when it came to the end of the year, they never really gave me credit for it. And I should have been working on my career instead of helping them do their IT work. If you're trying to build a business, you're trying to build your career, you need to check out Electric. For Mac Power users, listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones, for taking a qualified meeting, just go to electricai MPU. That's E L E C T MPU. Go there now to get your free pair of Beat Solo 3 headphones for scheduling a qualified meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Get Electric at your back so you can focus on what's important. All right. So one of the things people have been asking in the chat is, "Show us your lock screen, Steven, Do you have any? Oh, you don't have it installed yet, do you?
1: No. Yeah, not on my phone.
0: Uh, I got, I got it. Look at that, man! It's, it's rolling. Got some widgets. I got some widgets going. There aren't many widgets available yet. I really like the uh, the focus mode. See, uh, like this one is my um my work mode, and it's got a uh, the focus mode. There, so it switched the focus to work mode as soon as I switched the lock screen. I've ha- I've had fun playing with it. Um, I made one uh, like a personal one, and uh, this one. You can't resize the photos yet. You just got to kind of take them for what they are, and I think that's a beta thing. Look at that man! You can't even read the time on that one, but it's so <laughs> cute, right?
1: Yeah, and and it's cool. So the the uh, what you're showing is the depth. So the time sits behind. The subject of the photo and they're doing that in photos that aren't even portrait mode photos which is yeah. really cool
0: yeah well that that kind of gets back to that new feature where you can drag people and animals out of a picture uh let me tell you that is a feature that that is a sexy feature when you show that to anybody they're going to be impressed i I was showing it to my wife and kids and they were like amazed, like basically take any picture in your library. And they demonstrated this during the keynote, you know, where they had a picture, I think of a cat and they pulled the cat out. And uh, that's great. But I was thinking, is this one of those things where Apple has like the perfect photo to show this feature off with? And you like all the stars align. So what looks good. That's not true. Any, almost any picture in your library, you can just drag the subject out and it removes the background when we did the MPU meetup over the weekend, uh, I was showing it to some of the listeners and it's just, it just works. I don't know how else to put it. You it's a little weird on the phone. Cause you've got to like, kind of like do the the shuffle with your finger to get like from the photos app to the messages app or whatever. But mm-hmm. on the iPad, it, you just drag it across to another app. Um, I'm going to be using this a lot. Um, and it's, it's amazing. So I think that's the feature that made this possible. And the, the picture i showed Steven was a picture of my dog. And she's so big that you can barely see the time. It covers all the widgets Mm -hmm. and like the bottom half of the time, but it looks cute. So I don't care.
1: Yeah. And, and, and really these are closer to watch OS complications than widgets. I mean, don't, it's easier to think about it that way and the way they look and the way they work. And again, this is something that, you know, having spoken to developers over the last you know week or so. It seems like if they're already playing in the complications and widget space, it's pretty straightforward to adopt these. It's all built on the same technology where they're uh, rendered in a way where basically the app is just giving the system a stream of data. And I think they look pretty nice. I mean, they are more limited than widgets, but I think it's nicer looking because you get like sort of a, a more unified look, right? Where they, they look like complications, right? They all sort of are solid color. They all kind of follow the same basic shapes. And I'm really looking forward to, to playing with this. And, and one thing I did not foresee was them tying it to focus where your lock screen and your home screen now can both change depending on the focus mode you're in. I think that's so cool.
0: And your watch screen as well. They added that. So now you can tie a specific watch screen so like if i'm going to be podcasting and i have like a mac power user's logo watch face when i go into podcasting focus mode my watch face changes as well i mean there there's really a lot i think we're gonna to have to do a show on focus modes once all this ships because uh focus mode you know when it came out last year we were all like hey this is great. Hopefully Apple continues to work on it. And they did. I mean, the feature that we all really wanted was inclusion versus exclusion got added. So, you know, previously you had to specifically add the people. Now you can just say everybody except these people Mm -hmm. or everybody except these apps. So that just makes it way more powerful. Uh, Pascal asked in the chat, um, does the lock screen work with scruffy hair so I'm going to show for the gang. In fact, well, I think we can put this in the show notes. I'll put this picture of my dog, but you can see that scruffy hair absolutely works. I don't know if you can see that, Pascal, but yeah, she's got scruffy hair, and it like it's partially visible in front of the numbers. It's uh, it's really good, and I think that uh, uh, but the, the combination of all these things together really makes me think a lot of people are at Apple are using focus mode.
1: Yeah, I think they are. I, I think it's. It feels like they're taking it a lot more seriously than other features they've added over the years. Like, I think someone at Apple really cares about it and really uses it. And yeah. my guess is that, that that helps it benefit from more regular attention.
0: Yeah, the reason, like, while Steve Jobs was alive, Keynote always was excellent. Right. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's a lot there. So we got some, we got a lot of people here watching us live today. This is kind of fun. Uh, any questions about the betas and the experience and everything else, um, uh, let us know.
1: Brandon asks, do you feel like these mail changes are enough? I was excited to switch back to Apple Mail from Spark, but found there were a lot of other features that I was using in Spark. I mean, I think there's always going to be more specialized tools, right? like Apple's MO especially with their productivity apps is they want to hit the middle part of the bell curve right they want reminders and notes and mail to to have the features that most people need most of the time and there will always be people who need more and that's where third party developers like spark or omnifocus or craft or obsidian whoever can specialize and build more powerful features and so what this does in mail is it widens the curve right more people maybe who are using a third-party app just for these things well they can use the system app now it gets better for everybody but it's i don't think apple at least in this class of applications is really ever going to reach everybody
0: although i would add that uh, the new Apple Mail features combined with Sanebox, which is admittedly a sponsor but someone I pay for, uh, I think it's going to be a nice combination of the uh, of the way it looks.
1: Yeah, Tim asked, "What are your hopes for Driver Kit on iPad Stream Deck support, HDMI capture, USB scanners and printers, audio hijack? Are these things possible now?" So, what to we got to roll the clock back a little bit to explain Driver Kit. This was an addition to Mac OS in the before times drivers operated within the kernel space, and that meant they had access to way too much stuff in the system and Apple elevated via driver kit these drivers to run in the user space, so it's more secure and they have brought that to the iPad at this point, I think it's a pretty big unknown what this actually means in practice, because a device driver only gets you so far. So, so take Audio Hijack. And I haven't spoken to Rogue Amoeba about this, so I'm just talking. But you need DriverKit to talk to some sort of outboard, you know, USB audio device. And a lot of them work already, but DriverKit will let them do more specialized things. But you also need the software component. And so the problem with iPad OS audio routing is that it is effectively too simple. So like right now, as Dave and I are speaking, I have a recording running that's recording my local audio out of my microphone. It's recording my Chrome window with David, and it's also recording a combined file of both of us so that they're synced. And I can hear each of us in my uh, earpieces. So that's pretty complex routing.
0: And we're routing all of our video and audio through Webinar Jam as we do a webinar at the same time.
1: Yeah. And the iPad just doesn't have the plumbing for that. And so I really think driver kit, I think that story is going to take a while to really know what it means, but the support has to be there not only on the outboard device side, but also the software side.
0: Yeah. Agreed. I, and I'm really curious to see what people do with it. Like, uh, one of the questions was, you know, will we be able to hook it to a Stream Deck? Answers I don't know. But I, I suspect that Elgato is going to look into it, you know. And I'm not sure what I would do with a Stream Deck connected to an iPad. I mean, right, it's touching touch right. face already. So, but why not? You know, the more the merrier.
1: Yeah. And like, what? And that's where the software question comes in. Right? Like, what could it even do if it were plugged in? Yeah. I don't know.
0: Brad asked about when using an external screen on iPad, does it require a trackpad and mouse or do they give you some way to move the mouse off the screen by touching only the screen of the iPad? Uh, I was on a, I tested it once. I was unable to get it to work with anything except the keyboard and the mouse. So uh, if there is something there, I haven't figured it out yet. And I think they're really, I think that's really the intention for it. You know, when you sit at your desk and you plug it in, you're going to be turning it into kind of more like old timey computer mode.
1: Yeah. The iPad You know, you could have it in a stand and hooked up to a Bluetooth keyboard and trackpad, but I think Apple's ideal is that you have it in one of their magic keyboard cases with the built-in trackpad, and then you just have your single cable going from the iPad up to the display. I mean, very much like how a lot of people work with, with a laptop, right? You have a MacBook Air or a MacBook Pro, and it's hooked up to your display, and it's like kind of its own computer off to the side or even in front that's, I think, where the iPad is is going to live. You know, it, it's not a a headless device either. You know, it's got to be, uh, it's kind of got to be open and and operating sort of in that laptop mode.
0: Yeah. Uh, Amy asks, integration with task managers looks like the only thing keeping her on Spark right now. Um, to me, actually, Spark, you know, I think it's a great app, and I, I like the developers. But it's one of the things I don't like about Spark is that it is a pr- proprietary link format for sharing to Spark. So it's kind of like uh, locking yourself into Spark forever. Um, With Apple Mail, they use the messages link format for Apple Mail messages. I'm kind of getting technical on you here, but um, you can copy a link to a message on the Mac. And I do it with an Apple script, which is again, kind of like another layer of abstraction, but those links work on iPad and iPhone as well. And uh, they will not work in Spark. If you get a Spark link to a message and then later decide to stop using Spark, all those links die. Yeah. So that's kind of a downer for me on Spark. But, you know, I get it. I mean, I do wish that all of the mail uh, apps would use the same message format. Maybe there's something Apple's doing preventing that. But it'd be cool if you could do that, you know. Tim was asking, would love clamshell support for the iPad, iPad Air has touch id sensor would love to close and authenticate with that right now that just doesn't work interesting yeah i hadn't thought about that
1: yeah they, they want the ipad to be open like a notebook uh for that to work it, basically it's it's different than the mac where you know you can shut the lid to the mac and never see the screen and still use it with external devices but the ipad for whatever reason uh just doesn't doesn't work that way Keith asked, "Do you see the iPad eventually becoming a laptop replacement?" I know the age-old question.
0: Yeah. I don't think <sighs> I don't think anybody's looking for that really. Uh, you know, I mean, I've been frustrated with the iPad, but not because it's not a copy of my Mac, but just that I felt like it wasn't very good at what it was doing.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly it, right? Like hardware-wise it's there, you know. Um, in some ways it's even more flexible and better than a Mac notebook because you have touch and you can peel the thing off the keyboard and walk around with it. But the, the story for me always comes back to software, right? That I just can't do what I need to do for my job on an iPad. Uh, I can do a lot of it, but there are a lot of tasks that I can't, uh, I can't get done on iPad OS. And, nothing that we've seen this year has changed that. And some of that's on Apple, some of it's on third-party developers, but I've kind of, I I mean, I'm with you. I've come to a place where I'm basically okay with it, that I've just sort of come to understand that the iPad fits for me as a, you know, mostly like reading, watching stuff, working out kind of device. And it's not something that I pick up to, to get a lot of work done on. And uh, that's fine. It's different for everybody, but that's kind of where I come down on it.
0: Well, I feel like for me, the iPad is more useful than it was with this new beta. And that is the context shifting because context shifting was so hard before and getting like your app set up to do comms or getting your app set up to do research took too much work so you just didn't do it that's why i found it like it was very good for omnifocus and task management and planning it was very good for just sitting down and writing but like anything that involved more than one app took setup that that was that seemed kind of dubious that would even work and that stuff now with the addition of stage manager actually becomes a lot easier so i think i'll use it more for work but it's not going to replace a mac either but i never wanted it to replace a mac you know so you have that um John said, after seeing the betas and features, is there a hardware wish you want from Apple to side from an always-on iPhone? And by the way, don't you think – I mean, I guess there's already rumors of it, but, I mean, it's obvious that the next iPhone is – I'll be shocked if it's not always-on, or at least the yeah. iPhone Pro. I mean, because this whole lock screen thing mm-hmm. makes so much more sense with an always-on iPhone. But uh, to me, it, it, we're starting to see rumors of a bigger iPad. And I think that makes sense with what we're seeing with Stage Manager and the other improvements to iPad. Uh, some people want a bigger iPad. You know, I'm using my old 12-inch as a status board under my Mac. If it was two inches bigger, that'd be great. I mean, because it, it plays YouTube videos for me. It, it shows my notes when I'm recording screencasts, it does all sorts of things. Why not give it more screen real estate, you know, because it's not something I'm going to be carrying around all the time. And I feel like this type of stuff that stage manager does opens the door for a bigger iPad.
1: I agree. Uh, I think the other thing is just touch on the Mac. You know, you, we now have the exact same UI on the Mac and on the iPad one works with touch. And, and and Stage Manager, like, it works with touch. It's also very clearly really good with a trackpad. But, like, it's just the lack of touch on the Mac seems more and more conspicuous to me. Yeah. And, yes, there is still a lot of Mac OS that is not touch-friendly. Almost all of it. And that's a huge problem. But Stage Manager, like, jumps out at me as this thing of, like, why why hasn't Apple crossed this divide yet? And, you know, they said... 10 years ago when they, or about 10 years ago, I guess, when they introduced the the sort of modern MacBook Air, like, you know, you don't want a touchscreen. Touch wants to be horizontal. And that's when they started building in gestures to the trackpad and everything. But a lot has changed in 10 years. Um, and a lot has changed within Apple itself and the way that they build software themselves and... I just think that old argument that they made holds up less and less over time. I don't think it would ever be the primary way that somebody interacts with macOS. I don't think that makes any sense. But in the times where people want it, where it makes sense, I think it should be available to them. And they just haven't haven't done it yet.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's a horizontal thing again, as opposed to vertical. It's another option. And if you had a screen you could touch, you probably would sometimes. I Last night, for the first time in a long time, I found myself touching my MacBook screen. Oh, no. You know why? (laughs) Stage manager. Yeah. Because I was working on the iPad earlier in the day, and then I had a a MacBook in front of me, and I had stage manager on both of them, and I just reached up and tapped a group, and I'm like, what? And it just took me a second. Like, It's like, oh, yeah, right. I'm not on a touch-sensitive device. But you know what? When everybody in the world has stage manager on their Mac and their iPad, you know what they're going to want? They can want a touchscreen Mac. I don't know if Apple's going to do it. They seem pretty, you know, they seem pretty hesitant to do that. And every time it comes up, they're very insistent they're never going to make one, but it seems kind of like they're leaning that way with the operating system when you have these shared features that the interactions, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really strange. And I mean, there's lots of questions to answer, right? It's like, how do you do it on an iMac? Or maybe you don't. Maybe it's just the notebooks, right? I don't know. But, yeah. uh, but you know, others have figured this out, right? Basically, every decent Windows notebook at least has a touch option if it's not just there on all of them. And Microsoft's even done it with the studio. And, you know, it's a, it's sort of the same line of thinking of, like, why can't I use the Apple Pencil on the trackpad of my Mac to, like, illustrate an illustrator on mac os right like there's all these things they could do and they seem very very hesitant on the mac to change input devices while at the same time on the ipad sort of going bananas with it right it hasn't really been that long that we've had the pencil support on the ipad it was it 2015 with the first ipad pro and we've had the trackpad now for a couple of years like they're more willing to change that on the ipad but the mac i think needs some some attention too.
0: Yeah. And you know Pascal says well it was garbage on windows, you know, so you don't want it, but i think some people do, you know. I don't know that i'd use it a lot, but it does seem like something they should at least be thinking about. I, I don't know if like inside they're running test machines and continuing to make the determination or whether they decided a long time ago this is just not something we're going to do.
1: Yeah, i don't know. My, my guess is they look at it at least on a somewhat regular basis. But uh, time will tell, right? I mean, they definitely have all the components for it, especially now they're on Apple Silicon. It's just a matter of pulling the trigger. So Justin asked uh, our thoughts on the Ventura wallpaper. You know, it's always fun to talk about and to see what, uh, what Apple does. I collect them all over on 512 Pixels. You can go download them all. I think it's nice. It's... This year it is a, it's sort of a flower kind of image. It kind of reminds me of the Windows 11 wallpaper a little bit. You know, they, when they switched with Mavericks to California names, they had photos of those areas. So, I mean, Mavericks was like a wave. I don't know. It looks like a rendering. But then they had a bunch of mountains, like Yosemite and El Cap and Sierra and High Sierra. And then with Big Sur, they did both a picture of the coast and a colorful wallpaper, kind of how they used to do back in the day was a bunch of different blue wallpapers. Um, But with Monterey and now Ventura, there are just those sort of colorful graphics. Um, There's a light and dark mode. I think it looks really nice. Uh, I'm running it on both my machines, uh, even though my desktop is, is on Monterey. Uh, and they also look pretty nice on the iPad. I think it's fun running macOS wallpapers on the iPad, so it gets a thumbs up for me this year.
0: Yeah, uh, what's your favorite um, operating system wallpaper? Because I know you like you catalog them all.
1: Yeah, I really like Snow Leopards, which was a Starfield. Um, you know, Leopard and Snow Leopard had sort of like space themes, um, yeah. as did Lion, and Mountain Lion. Uh, but I like snow leopards, and as far as like the classic blue ones, uh, I think Tiger wins for me.
0: I was just going to say, Tiger was a good one.
1: Very good. This episode of MPU is made possible by Squarespace. I want to tell you a story today. So about mm, probably two and a half or three years ago, I got that sort of dreaded email from my kid's school. Hey, the parent-teacher organization needs a new website We hear that you know about computers. Now, before Squarespace, that would have been a really scary proposition to build something that people could update and change on their own over the next coming years. But Squarespace made it really easy. I was able to put something together that looks awesome on all devices. And as the leadership of the PTO has changed over the last several school years, they simply log in and update their own information. I haven't had to touch it. It's really easy for someone to go in and keep everything up to date. And that's why I love building on Squarespace. They have so many awesome features. You can sell your products on an online store, either physical or digital goods. They have all the tools you need. You get started with this best-in-class website template, and then you customize it to fit your needs. But the same thing also goes for email campaigns with Squarespace. You can encourage visitors to sign up as email subscribers and start them on their journey to becoming loyal customers. You start with this awesome email template and then customize it with your brand and your colors and your logo and everything. Plus, you get built-in analytics on everything to see what's going on with your site. Head on over to squarespace.com slash MPU for a free trial. There's no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain name. That's squarespace.com slash MPU and the code MPU. off your first purchase. And that, of course, shows Squarespace that you support Mac Power users. Our thanks to Squarespace for the support of the show and Relay FM. All
0: right, one more question. Uh, Pascal, have you tried continuity camera? And if so, any limitations or gotchas? I didn't even realize it was already working. I thought it was a future thing. So I haven't tested it yet. Steven, have you given it a try?
1: Uh, No, because it requires iOS 16 on your phone. so I have not uh, tried that out yet. It's a super interesting feature though, right? Using your iPhone camera as your Mac webcam. Yeah. It it feels like a feature. It's sort of in response to some of the backlash they've had over the last couple of years about their webcams. Uh, it's also interesting that they're working with Belkin to make a mount, at least for the notebooks. But this will be a thing, like there'll be a thousand of these on Etsy that are 3D printed and yeah. different companies make yeah. different ones to attach your phone uh, to your Mac, and it'll work wired or wirelessly. I think uh, I think that's pretty cool, and I think that like if you have a desktop setup and maybe you have an older iPhone, I don't know how recent your phone needs to be to use the feature, but I could see a lot of people just leaving a phone wired up all the time for this.
0: Well, if you've got an extra one, why not? I mean, the camera in your phone is almost always going to be better than most cameras. I mean, mm-hmm. some people put like an SLR camera or something with a deeper sensor. But this is just going to use software to try and and simulate simulate that. I do think that it's interesting to me. Like Camo is a great third-party app that does this now. But your phone gets quite hot when you're running Camo. I'm very curious. to. I'm going to try this out like today after we get done. I just want to see how the phone reacts. Like does the phone get warm? Like with Camo, you've got to run an app. And there's things about it that a first party like Apple can do that a third party cannot, I'm just really curious, like what's the difference between wired and wireless. And there's a lot to see here.
1: The other thing it can do is it uses the wide angle to do a top down view. So if your camera is, you know, above the lid of your laptop or your iMac or something, it can show like the keyboard and trackpad area. So you can see what your hands are doing And it's doing that with the ultra wide and then like cropping it and skewing it. Um, I, again, I haven't done it in person. So when you look at this, I'd love to hear what you think about it. Traditionally shooting overhead is a giant pain in the rear. I have a whole desk in my studio that I built to do this. Uh, Or you have to have like uh, something mounted to the ceiling or a rail system. And I think I said this in in our show at Apple, but you know, when my wife was teaching remotely during the pandemic, this would have, this would have been awesome for her. She ended up using uh, a, like a, a Logitech webcam on one of those uh Gorilla Pods, you know, like the tripod that's kind of bendy. Yeah. Uh, and I had a swivel head on it so she could tilt it down and like show what she was working on to her kids. And something like this would have been really cool. And so I'm excited to see how this looks in practice and – You know, it could be a thing like, yeah, you get to your hotel room and you open your laptop and, you know, instead of the eyesight camera, you make it out of your back 15 years ago. Now you get your phone and 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 do uh, and do a call. I think it's cool. And it's one of those features that definitely leverages Apple making all the components. Right. They can make the phone and the Mac talk to each other in in this way that uh, even Camo kind of has to jump through some hoops to do.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting to me, like the standard right now is people don't expect really good video on these calls. Like it's kind of given that you're going to have poor lighting and poor video so much so that when you do go to the trouble of setting up a good system, everybody makes fun of you for it. So does this raise the standard? I think there's like an interesting angle to all of this. Like, are people even going to want that? You know, sometimes you don't necessarily want the best quality video of you going out. So I I am really curious to see how this works. Um, Pascal weighs in. uh, The Verge had done has already looked into this and says, you know, it's got to be a phone that can run um, iOS 16, which is not, you know, the older phone sitting in the doors necessarily. So that's going to affect it. Although I would say that I've been running camo for about a year, and I don't have any problem with putting my primary phone into a harness and using it as a camera. I rarely if ever need my phone when I'm on these calls. I've got a Mac in front of me and I've got an iPad in front of me. So I'm fine. Um, so I'm not sure I really care if I have to use my good phone or not for that. In fact, that'd be the one with the best camera, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And iOS 16 is iPhone eight and higher. So they dropped the 6S and the 7 together this year. Yeah. And we didn't talk about it, but in, in on Mac OS Ventura drops a lot of machines. Basically it's 2017 and up. So like the butterfly, the first butterfly keyboard MacBook Pro is gone. That machine is only six years old. Like they were really aggressive this year, a little more so than I expected. Um, but you do gotta keep an eye out for that. Um, Justin points out that if your phone is close, continuity camera will just pop up like any other camera source, and so it, it seems like you'll be able to use this in a bunch of different apps. If not on day one, pretty quickly. And I think, you know, I think this may be a, a pretty successful thing. I, I definitely get what you're saying. Sometimes like just the laptop webcam is fine, but a lot of people um, and a lot of people have already solved this, right? With like a nicer webcam, but this just works out of the box. Like, I think, I think this will be, I think we'll see people do it out in the wild.
0: Something something else we didn't mention when we were talking about stage is it only really runs, it only runs on iPad with an M1 iPad. Yeah. And there's there's a whole like the internet is brewing on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had put a post at Max Barkey saying that I I kind of believe Apple that they they need the more memory and the faster chip to make this work. I mean, it's running four to eight apps simultaneously. I don't think that's going to work on an older iPad very well. And and I'm already taking a beating in my email inbox about saying that. But <laughs> I, I I don't think it's a. Um, Apple trying to get you to buy a new iPad thing. I think it's like saying, you know, we were all complaining last year. You have these really powerful chips. How come you're not taking advantage of them? Well, now they are, and now the complaint is, well, now you're making me buy a new new machine. Well, that's kind of their business, right? I, I don't think it's. They, I don't think they should hold back features um, just because they won't run on every piece of hardware that's shipped in that in that um platform.
1: Yeah, it's a little lose lose for them. And yeah. I, I tend to take them at their word that if they said it was a bad experience or impossible, then that's, that is what it is. Now, what's the alternative? They wait a year. Like, the iPad couldn't wait a year for more yeah. for a revised multitasking system, so.
0: It would have been a revolution. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think they probably just picked, like, the least worst option. And, and yeah, it totally stinks if your iPad can't run it. But, you know, next time... Uh, Next time you end up with a new iPad, you'll be all set.
0: Well, either way, it it it, Stephen, it was a great time seeing you. And I'm feeling really good about these betas this year. I feel like this is a significant year. I love that we're getting these features across all platforms. Apple Mail, in particular, stands out for me. I'm getting these features on my phone, my iPad, and my Mac. It's like upgrades everywhere and all around. Um, I think this is a good year for Apple. And uh, I'm feeling better about their software than I have in a while.
1: It was a really good WWDC, and I think that these new features are exciting. Giving we didn't even get to it, but like so much of the stuff, like the new focus changes, like they're also available to developers to implement them in their apps. Like that's very exciting to me. Yeah, I think it was uh, a real, a solid WWDC, and like one one for the books.
0: We are the Mac Power User. You can find us at relay.fm/mpu. I want to thank our sponsors. That's 1Password, FitBob, Electric, and Squarespace. And we'll see you next time.